0: Leviticus 9, 12 through 24. And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's son presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and hid, and he burned them on the altar, and he washed the entrails and the legs, and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought the people's offering, and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people and killed it and offered it for sin, like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar, besides the burnt offering on the morning of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people. And Aaron's son's Presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, and the fat from the bowl and the ram, the fatty tail which covers the entrails, and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breasts. Then he burnt the fat on the altar, put the breast and the right thigh, but the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, and burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting, and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And the fire came out before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering, and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Sabbath rest. We thank you for gathering us today as a people called out from the nations to worship you, to sing, to pray before you. We pray as your word is proclaimed today that we would learn from it, we would learn from this passage, how to better worship you, to see what is acceptable in your sight, to have a better understanding of how we as your people, can come before you and worship you in the way that you prescribe. And that we would, um, we would fear the warning that will come in the next passage of straying from what you command us to do, uh, straying from the good things that you present in your word and seeking our own desires. We pray you give us wisdom and you give us mercy to understand this passage. In Christ's name, amen.
1: As we continue with the offerings that that Aaron sacrificed on the first day that he was the high priest. We remember that Moses had offered offerings. He'd offered sin offerings and burnt offerings and peace offerings and grain offerings for Aaron and his sons every day for seven days, while Aaron and his sons stayed in the door of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron starts his work as the high priest by first offering sacrifices for himself, Which we know the significance of this in from Hebrews, where Christ had to offer sacrifices for Himself, but when He offered sacrifices for Himself, sacrifices over and over for Himself. So then, last week we started talking about how He offered a bullock as a sin offering, which matched what Moses had commanded earlier in Leviticus. That for an anointed priest, you had to sacrifice a young bullock. You had to burn it outside the camp. But he didn't do all that was, co- was commanded in Leviticus 4. Leviticus 4, 5-7 said, "...then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary." And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But that's not what Moses told Aaron to do with the blood of this bull. The blood of this bull, he was to anoint the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and then poured out on the ground. There was no sprinkling it before the veil. There was no anointing the altar of incense. So in the next chapter, we're going to find that Nadab and Abihu, they don't do it the way that they're told to do it, and they immediately get struck down dead. But here you have Aaron, according to the commandments of Moses, making the offering different than what he had commanded in chapter 4. No, we know that Moses told him because he does everything according to what Moses said. But so when we look at this as a sin offering, we also see that there's, there's more flexibility in this offering. There's more ways that the offerings are to be offered than what was in Leviticus 1 through 7. Because he's offering a sin offering and he's doing it as a sin offering, but he's doing it differently than how it was commanded. And it's not being done in rebellion to God. It's being done in accordance with Moses, this picture of the law. It's being done just as it was given to Aaron at that time to do it. So that's not the only difference between what God had commanded earlier and what Aaron was now being told to do by Moses. He offered the burn, he'll offered he offer the burnt offering in this passage as earlier prescribed, but when he goes and offers the sin offering for the people, he doesn't offer a bullock. Leviticus 4 says he has to offer a bullock if he's offering a sin offering for the people. And again, he takes, if it's a sin offering for the people, he's supposed to take that blood and bring it in before the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place and sprinkle it before the veil. But that's not what he does. What he does is he anoints the horns of the altar burnt offering. So what's going on? How can it be that in the next chapter God's going to kill them for not doing it the way that God commands but here they're not doing it the way that God commands in how they were told to do the offering but yet God blesses it. Now again, we know this isn't done in rebellion and that's the main thing. But God is giving a different picture here. The picture of the sin offering in Leviticus 4 was very specific. And it doesn't matter who sins. It always said about the same language in Leviticus 4:22 through 24. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord the, his God, and anything that should not be done and is guilty, or if his sin, which he has committed, comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. That's the offering that, that, which was for a ruler of the people that, that Aaron is about to make for the congregation. But the key thing there is the ruler had to recognize his sin to do that offering. The high priest had to recognize his sin in order for the blood to be sprinkled before the veil. Unless you acknowledge your sin, unless you see that the sacrifice was needed for you, not just because God is arbitrary, not just because you have to appease His anger, but that you deserve His judgment, it doesn't give you access to the Holy of Holies. All it does is just show that you knew that He was a judge. All it does is increase the judgment. All it does is is anoint the horns of the altar of burnt offering. There's no sign in here that Aaron had any idea of his sin. There's no sign here that the congregation had any idea of their sin. It's not going to be that many more months before they stand before the promised land and God says, go in, and they go, no, we will not go in. They still think they're holier than God. They still think they're more righteous than God. So when God has them through Moses offer sin offering, he doesn't have them fulfill the picture. He doesn't have them show that this gives access to the Holy of Holies because they didn't have access to the Holy of Holies. And so there's a couple things we should think of when we we consider this. We should first think that, hey, God gave all that details of the law. But yet when Moses starts telling them to do it, he tells them to do something different than what the law said. But it's not because Moses was against the law. It's that the details of the law matter. When we we hear about in Hebrews how important it was that the temper that the tabernacle was set up exactly like it was in heaven, because it was a picture of heavenly things. And so it all had to be done with such precision and such detail. But now, all of a sudden, the sin offerings don't need to be given with the same precision. They don't need to be given with the same detail. Because these things that they're going to do day by day, it's like even in the next chapter, Aaron's not going to eat of something that he's supposed to eat of. And Moses goes, Well, I understand. You're angry at God for having not, for having killed your sons. And so we see a lot more flexibility in the offerings than we do in how the, how the table of showbread was set up, how the, how the lampstand was set up. And so, and remember what these sacrifices are a picture of. These sacrifices are actually a picture of the work of the priest. These sacrifices are actually a work of the picture of the priests of the order of Melchizedek. They're a physical parable of what we're supposed to be doing. And that shows there's more flexibility. It wasn't this, this rote thing that they were supposed to do exactly this thing. Yes, they have to do it in submission to God. Yes, this is not against the regular principle of worship at all. But it is a reality that... That our sacrifices, the way we do them, they change depending on the circumstances. And that's what's happening here. Moses is changing the sacrifices. They shouldn't do a sin offering like in chapter 4. Because guess what? They weren't seeing their sin, which is what was required. So they still do a sin offering. It's just, it's just treated differently so with that let's go for verses 12 through 14 and he killed the burn offering and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood which he sprinkled all around on the altar then they presented the burn offering to him and its pieces and head and he burned them on the altar and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar so he had already sacrificed the sin offering now he goes And kills the burnt offering, which is for himself. This isn't for the people. This is for Aaron. So he would have killed the bullock of the sin offering. He would have burned the fat. He would have then taken the, he would have sprinkled the blood on the altar, or anointed the horns of the altar. Poured out the blood on the ground, and then they would have taken the bull outside the camp and and burning it that picture of that you have to die to yourself in order to be saved, the picture of being not of this world, this picture of you have to be outside of the things of this world. Anybody who's walking in the flesh, they they haven't been justified. It's that picture of justification. Then after making that sacrifice, Aaron comes back, and then he makes a burnt offering for himself. And again, as we've talked about before, the burnt offering is a picture of substitutionary atonement. So he kills the burnt offering and Aaron's sons presented the blood. It's interesting as with the sin offering, Aaron's sons are explicitly being declared as handling the blood of the, of the burnt offering. Now they would have caught the blood because as you cut its throat, which is what Aaron would have had to do, you have to hold up basins that, that were specifically made for this purpose to cut the blood as it came out of the body of the bull. And so they would catch it, so that, it could, so that Aaron could anoint the altar burnt offering. The high priest was the one who sprinkled the blood around the altar. The, he was the one that poured it out. He was the one that anointed the horns of the altar. But it was the priest, it was his sons that brought the, the blood before him. So when we hear about what priests do other than the high priest, we're always supposed to see this as a picture of what we're supposed to do. God gave those physical parables so that we could understand what the role of a priest is. And it's repeated multiple times in this passage that it was the sons of the high priest, it was their role to present the blood to him, to the high priest. So when we think of that burnt offering, we should think of Christ as being the burnt offering. Because he's the only substitution that can actually deliver anyone. But we also know that we're to be sacrifices, that we're to die to ourselves. Since the Bible teaches that life is in the blood, I do think that you have the picture here of this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be offering our life to the high priest. We're to offer our life to Christ. We're to pick up our cross and follow Him. We're supposed to. We're the ones that are supposed to be saying that all I have is the Lord's. That we're to offer our life to Christ as His slave, and He's the one that uses it according to His perfect wisdom. So He would take the blood and He sprinkled it all around the altar, all around on the altar. So again, this is the picture of being separated from the eternal judgment of hell that picture of we come as a sacrifice we we lay down our life for Christ and then he separates us from hell through that means not that it wasn't his sacrifice that made it possible it is he has to be the high priest for us to be separated from that judgment but we actually have to die to ourselves in order to be separated from the eternal damnation that we deserve and so by the sacrifice of the burnt offering, a sacrifice that the true high priest didn't need, he didn't need to be separated from the, from the judgment of hell because David said of Christ in Psalm 126.10, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Christ the high priest didn't need to be separated from the altar burnt offering. His holiness made him separate. But we do need to be separated. Because our unrighteousness, our sin, causes us to rightly be in subjection to the judgment that is to come, the eternal damnation. So the blood of the true offering, the blood of Christ, creates the separation that the blood of bulls and goats could never do. Then they presented, so just like with the blood, the sons of Aaron were the ones that were cutting up the offering. There were not a huge number of sacrifices here, but even with a few, it takes a while for them to be cut up. And so they would present the burnt offering to him. And the burnt offering was not like the sin offering. The sin offering is this picture of justification, this picture of being put outside the camp. The burnt offering <coughs> is cut up into pieces. It's butchered, and the the entrails are pulled out, and then it's stacked and burned on the on the fire. So they would have had to present him with its pieces. So they butchered it and they cut it into pieces. And again, when we hear the work of the priest, we should be going, so what is this a picture of what we're supposed to do? Because we're supposed to do, these are physical parables, as it says in Hebrews. And yes, they're physical parables of what the high priest does, but they're also physical parables of what the other priests do, what the sons of Aaron do, what the sons of the high priest do. do. And so the priest had the responsibility to cut up the sacrifice, to cut up the burnt offering. It reminds me of Second Timothy two fifteen and sixteen. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Christ is the burnt offering, and we have a real responsibility, not just elders, but all priests have a responsibility to rightly divide the word. And for some, that brings people to repentance. To others, it increases their judgment. For some, it's just an anointing of the horns, the blood on the horns of the altar, which means that your judgment is greater. And to others it's that separate, but we all have the responsibility to bring the sacrifice. We all have the responsibility to divide the sacrifice into pieces. They were to divide the pieces of the burnt offering and they were to set them in order so that they would burn better. This is what we're to do with the word of God we're to set it in order we're supposed to understand it we're supposed to divide it. this is how we're salt this is how we're light. it's how we deal with the word of God <coughs> So they cut it into pieces and its head. (coughs) It's interesting in the first chapter of Leviticus, as well as here, the head is listed separately. That might be because it's relatively easy to split a clean animal in half, meaning one that's acceptable for sacrifice. But that's not true for the skull. You know, you can divide and like a cow is... There's a a dividing line that ends with the spine that you can relatively easily divide it. But the skull is one piece. But if we think of ourselves as the body of Christ and all the sacrifices are made in different... All the sacrifices... (coughs) Let me understand my notes here. Oh, All the sacrifices are different pieces, but it's all related, and it's all related, so you have this this picture of all the different pieces and all the sacrifice of the different pieces. But the one unifying piece, the one recognizable piece, is that it's about Christ. He is the head. (coughs) He is the head of the church. And so the sacrifice of the head... Without the sacrifice of the head, the body could never be a sacrifice. It would never be an acceptable sacrifice. None of our sacrifices would ever be useful in the kingdom of God except that Christ is our head. So he burned them on the altar. The sons of Aaron divided the pieces, but Aaron is the one who burns them on the altar. He's the one that could take those sacrifices and make them an acceptable aroma to God. That's what Christ does. Our sacrifices... Are trying to serve, are trying to do the right thing. Those things are never acceptable except that Christ makes them acceptable. It's his sacrifice that makes our sacrifices acceptable to God and pleasing to God. So, Andy washed the entrails. Again, this is a picture being cleansed in the inward parts of having the filth removed from inside because we need more than a clean exterior to be acceptable to God. Our hearts and our bowels need to be cleansed. And then the legs, obviously. The legs are the picture of the outward defiling that comes from the inward defilement. So you wash the legs, that elimination of exterior filth, the elimination of the exterior being polluted because of the filth that came from the inside. And it has to be that that came from the inside because otherwise Christ could not have been without sin. He was without sin because inside him was no sin. So he didn't get filth. It's not the world that makes us sinners. It's what's inside us that makes us sinners. And so they burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. All the entrails were burned with with the meat of the burnt offering. They were all stacked together and burned. Later they were, are commanded to never give an offering without grain or wine. But at this point, Aaron just does the sin offering and the burnt offering for himself. Once he has done the offering for himself, then he can minister to the people. Verses 15 through 21. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which for, were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, and the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail which covers the entrails and the kidneys, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. And they put the fat on the breast. Then he burned the fat on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh, Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded. So after he does the offering for himself, then he brought the people's offering. If you remember from the beginning of chapter nine, the full offering for the people was a kid of the goats for the first, for a sin offering, a calf and a young ram for a burn offering. A bull and a ram for a peace offering and a grain offering that was grain mixed with oil. And as always, the order of the sacrifices is important. And so he starts with the sin offering. He took the goat. And that the word for goat there, in these passages, there's different words for goat. And so, you know, I think the the <coughs> the picture of a young ram, that word there, is means to push. So it's it's a goat that's old enough to be able to start to to butt with its horns, but not full grown. The one for the, the, the peace offering is like a shaggy goat, so that's an older goat. And this comes, and that's the same word here that it comes from a word which means shaggy. So this is a this is an older goat, <coughs> not the young ram that was required for the burnt offering. And so he took the goat which was a sin offering as I said before this normally would not be offered to a congregation. The only time that a male goat was to be offered according to Leviticus 4 was when a ruler saw their sin. If the congregation saw their sin it was supposed to be a bull. If an individual saw their sin it was supposed to be a female goat. But here Moses is telling them for the congregation to do a male goat. So again you see... There's a lot more flexibility in the offerings than there is with, uh, with the lampstand. There's more application of wisdom here than there is with the lampstand. It was supposed to be a picture of what was in heaven. These things are to be a picture of the service of, of the priests of Melchizedek. And so there, there is supposed to be wisdom applied. And we don't just go, well, this is exactly how it's supposed to look. Again, this isn't being done in rebellion to Moses. It's very clear at the end of this that he did all these things as Moses had commanded. So for the people, when you do the, when you do the, the sacrifice of the bullock for the anointed priest, there's atonement made. When you do the sacrifice of the, the bullock for the congregation, there's atonement made. But when you do it, a male goat, that doesn't have the same result. There's no promise of atonement for here. He's not forgiving sins here. He's giving a picture of what's required to forgive sins. To forgive sins, you have to recognize your sin. You have to be cognizant of your sin. You have to repent of your sin. And there's no repentance in this passage. There's no turning from sin in this passage. Not like Leviticus 4, where there you had to see your sin. And so this was for the people. So there's no promise of atonement. So then they killed it. So Aaron was the one who killed it. The one making the offering was the one who was required to kill it. And he offered it for sin. It was a sin offering. It was done in the sight of God. It was according to the commandments of God. But it didn't fulfill the promises that were given in Leviticus 4 because it wasn't done in accordance with Leviticus 4. It was done like the first one. And this is also significant. The bullock for Aaron was burned whole outside the camp. And this is what was supposed to be done for the sin offering of the anointed priest. And a sin offering for the congregation, that was also, when you sacrificed a bullock, that was to be burned outside the camp. But here he burns this goat outside the camp if it was a ruler of the people you didn't burn it outside the camp the sin offering for the people for the common person the sin offering for ruler it wasn't burned outside the camp the ones that were burned outside the camp are those that are about giving you access to the holy place because you cannot be of this world you cannot walk in the flesh and be saved is the picture of leviticus 4 but this is still, God is separating the congregation from the world. He's not saving them, but he's separating the congregation from the world. They don't get access to the Holy of Holies. They don't, it doesn't have the same result that Christ sacrifice, as our sin offering does for us. But they really were separated. They just didn't get to the Holy of Holies. And so God's taking these things that were pictures and he's having Moses put the picture before the people in a different way than it was in Leviticus 4. So he offers it just like the first one. He burns it outside the camp. He puts the blood on the the horns of the altar. He He sprinkles the blood around the altar. He does all these things that are these pictures about how he won't consume them, how he will separate them from the people of the earth. And as we've been reciting, right, it's going to, after Nadab and Abba who die in the next chapter, it's going to start to talk about the food laws. And the food laws are all about being separated. Not being righteous, being separated. And so that's what God's doing here. He's separating Israel from the people of the world. And that's what this sin offering is doing. <coughs> so then he brought the burnt offering. After doing the sin offering, Aaron now moved on to the burnt offering. And he offered it according to the prescribed manner. So he offered it in accordance with Leviticus 1. Which would say, He'd have taken the calf and killed it between the altar and the door. of The tabernacle sprinkled the blood around the altar, around on the altar, washed the entrails and the legs, put them all in pieces on the altar, started burning them, then he'd take the ram, he'd put the ram on the north side of the altar, not between the, the door of the tabernacle and the altar burnt offering, but north of it, he'd kill that ram there. He would, he would, again, sprinkle its blood around on the altar, wash the entrails and the fat, put that on the fire, and put all those things in order with the other pieces of the animal, and it would start it burning. And then he brought the grain offering, so the grain offering was, was grain mixed with, with oil. Picturing the word of God with the spirit of God. It wasn't prepared. It was just raw grain with oil. So the, physically they received the, the majority of the grain and oil. But some of it was burned up as a memorial. So it's a picture of what people would receive in the New Testament. The New Covenant how they would receive the, the grain, the word of God, and the, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the people. So then he took a handful of it. The whole, the whole grain offering was not burnt, just a memorial of it. Just a reminder that because they were in relationship with God, was the reason that they received the offering. It was the reason that they received the grain and the Holy Spirit was because of the relationship with God that was established through the sin offering and the burn offering, then he burned it on the altar, so it was consumed by the fire, it would have been put on the burn offering, and then it would all have been burned up, and it was a pleasing aroma before god and then beside the sin offering, and I think sorry, it burned it on the altar beside the sin offering. this is a bit of a strange translation because That word beside is actually two Hebrew words. And one of those Hebrew words means to be a part of it. So it's it's part of the burnt offering. And then the other Hebrew word that was translated, both of them together were translated beside, means to be separate from it. So the besides means to be a part that's separate. So this is kind of the picture of the grain offering. It's part of the burnt offering. It's because of the sacrifice of Christ that we receive the word of God and the Holy Spirit. But the word of God and the Holy Spirit isn't the burnt offering. It is a separate thing that we receive. And so God has them do this and it's burned on the altar as a memorial just so that we remember this is why we have these things. This is why we can understand the word. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. It is because of Christ's sacrifice. And then beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. So with killing the sin offering of the bullock for Aaron and carrying it outside the camp. They burned it completely outside the camp. Then they come back and they kill the burnt offering for Aaron. They slaughter that. They, they butcher that. They started burning on the altar burnt offering. They didn't have to wait for it all to be consumed before they started the sin offering for the people. Because the idea of the burnt offering was to keep it burning as a picture of hell. And so then he would need to take a ram, slaughter it, burn its entrails, and take the whole animal outside the camp, burn up the whole animal outside the camp. Then they would come back. And then they'd start offering the burnt sacrifice to the calf and the goat. They would burn its entrails. And all this was to be done in the morning. They weren't supposed to mess around. They were supposed to be doing this quickly because these were the sacrifices of the morning. And remember the picture here, the picture is Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He came into the world and there became, where there was darkness, there became light. And so that picture of, of, of Christ being the burnt offering, of Christ being the sin offering, these things had to happen in the morning as a, as a parable of what happens when Christ comes into the world and the world becomes filled with light. Think about this. It would have taken a while for that bull to be completely burned. So they had to be getting that fire to be hot. It would have taken a long time for that ram to be completely burned down to ashes. So they were supposed to be about the work of sacrificing. They were supposed to be about the work of, of making these sacrifices completed. And then after that, he also killed the bull and the ram. And remember, you have the sin offering, that picture of of um, justification you have the the burn offering which is next which is the picture of substitutionary atonement you have the the grain offering which is the picture of the word and then you have the peace offering and that order is important because the blessings of peace with god come from understanding his word come from applying his word come from the work of the holy spirit The blessings that we receive when we reject the word of God, when we don't follow the word of God, we should not just expect, oh, God's going to bless us anyway. The blessings of peace with God come from submitting to his word, come from walking in his spirit. So he also killed the bull and the ram. So this was uh, the bull and the ram for the peace offering. So these were both full-grown animals. The calf for the sin offering, the, the young ram for the sin offering, those were young animals probably of less than a year. But here these are older animals. And Remember that the people would eat these animals as well. But, but there's millions of people. A bull and a ram doesn't go that far when you have millions of people. You know, consider Solomon when he dedicates the temple. He, he kills 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. But here you have one bull and one ram. So everybody wouldn't get a portion. But it's not like the picture of Solomon. The picture of Solomon is the picture of the the tremendous blessings that come from Christ returning the second time, right? That's Solomon in the temple. Solomon, the glorious kingdom where everybody has more than they could possibly eat. That's the picture of the the 22,000 bulls. The picture here is they have peace with God, but God's going to kill them all in the desert. He's going to kill them all in the wilderness. They have peace with God. They've been separated out, but this isn't like separation unto righteousness because you see that because they're still condemned. So because of the law of God, they do receive blessings, but it's not like the blessings of obedience. It's not like the blessings of walking in the commandments of God. They do receive the word of God, right? It says in, I think, Romans 3, what, is, what advantage then does the Jew have? They've received the oracles of God. They received the grain offering, but they didn't mix it with faith. So it had some benefit to them, but it only had the benefit of a bull and a, a ram, not the benefit of 22,000 bulls and 122,000 sheep like the picture of Solomon, like the picture of the second coming of Christ. So he killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings. They were sacrificed of peace offerings to picture the blessing of being at peace with God. And there was a sense that they were at peace with God. They stopped being terrified of God. Remember when they went up the mountain, they were terrified of God. Even when the, the glory of God settles on the tabernacle, they're terrified of God. Moses can't even stay in the tabernacle because of the glory of the Lord. Remember they say, oh, just keep God away from us. You talk to him and then tell us what to say is what they say to Moses. But now they, they have real blessings. Blessings now they are really have a level of peace with god even as they haven't truly been reconciled to god because this is just a this is just a parable not a reality so these sacrifices of peace offerings which were for the people through the intercession of the high priest as a picture of christ there was sufficient peace with god and blessings from that peace that god's presence would go with them without them being consumed That they would see real blessings, just like the world is a completely different place now than it was 2,000 years ago. And not because everybody's righteous, but because through the coming of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ the high priest, the sin in the world has really been constrained, and the world has received the blessings of peace offerings, even as they reject God which is the picture here. Even as Israel rejects God, even as the people of Israel rebel against God in every way, God still gives him his word and it still produces real blessings to them. So when Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, again, there's this emphasis that they would catch the blood when they made the sacrifice of the peace offerings. But it was the sons of Aaron that brought that blood through the sons of Christ, those who have faith in Him, those who obey the Great Commission, to teach the nations all the things that Christ has commanded, to teach disciples all the things that Christ has commanded. When we do that, that's how there's peace in the world. That's how the world gets the blessings of peace, is when we preach the Word, when we conquer the kingdom that's made, that's cut out without hands, when we wield the sword of the Word of God. That's how the world has the blessings of the peace offering. And he would sprinkle it all around. Again, the blood was sprinkled around the altar as a sign of the wrath of God being constrained from breaking out and destroying them. And the fat of the bull and the ram, the fat that was around the inwards of the animal, the fat that was on those parts, that picture of defilement, that picture of the... The, the building up of the accrual of material things because of, through sin and through through their wickedness, all of it's burned up. And the fatty tail that, remember on the ram, that they have the the accumulation of fat that's right at the, the base of their tail. That's, that's not true for bulls. They don't have that, but rams had that, and that was to be burned up. And the fat that covers that, that, that encircles and surrounds the entrails that was to be burned up and the kidneys that picture of re- removing the liquid waste from the body that defilement and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the liver eliminates toxins from the blood it's it 's pulling those things out it 's that picture of of your life being sanctified of your life being cleansed up, cleansed by the by the toxins by the sin being removed from it. That would be filtered through the liver, so the liver gets burned up. All that picture of, of the sin being destroyed, the, the sin, the defilement that comes from within us. And then they put the fat on the breasts. This wasn't explicitly said before. It does say that they, when when the priest would make the offering, for the peace offering, that they would take the fat and the breast. But here it's very... The word's very specific. They were supposed to lay the fat on the breasts and then they would burn up the fat. So that's an interesting picture. The association of the blessing that the priests received, which is the breasts, for making the offering. It was associated with the fat of the offering. So I think this is a picture of how God ordered the world. He ordered it so the wicked would accrue things of this world. But they weren't accrued for them. They were accrued to be a blessing to the righteous. It says in Proverbs 13.22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. I think that's the picture here. That they meant it for evil. They accrued, they accrued things for their own purposes, for their own sin, for their own lust. But God used it as a blessing to the people. The blessings that the, the people received is related to the wickedness of other people. Yeah, and we can see that all over the place. Cell phones. Cell phones were designed for, you know, smartphones were designed for pornography and gambling. That's what they were made for. That's why they, that's why they built them. That's what the whole system was built for. But yeah, now most of us can do Bible searches really easily wherever we are. The people mean it for wickedness but God used it to be a blessing to his people <coughs> so then he burned the fat on the altar after associating the two together he burned the fat because the sin was still judged even though God meant it for good and he used it to be a blessing to his people it is still judged it is still burned up it is still the results of sin But the breast and the right thigh, these were the two portions for the priest. The best portions were set aside to bless the priest. That's the picture of what Christ's sacrifice did. Christ's sacrifice produces blessings in the whole world, but the priests are the ones that get the best part of the blessings. The priests are the ones that get the choicest parts. That's how God designed it. So the breast and the right thigh, Aaron waved as a wave offering. (laughs) <laughs> and that wave offering means to undulate it before the Lord, to pick it up and to wave it about. It's a picture of our responsibility to acknowledge that the blessings and the things that we receive of God, they're from God, they're from the mercy of God. It is so easy for us to just think this is how things are, but we receive so much from God and we have responsibility To acknowledge that the good things we receive, they are from the hand of God. They are because of his word. They are because of of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are what God does. And we have a responsibility to acknowledge that before the Lord. that, That we recognize that our blessings come from him. And then they did it all as Moses commanded. Throughout here, even for those parts that aren't matching what was commanded earlier... They're still being done, not out of rebellion to God, but out of submission to Moses, the picture of the law of God. Moses is saying what God wants, and they're doing it. So the general rules, they obviously don't apply to all circumstances because this isn't about rebellion. This isn't like Nadab and Abihu. This is they're doing what, what God would have them to do, which he revealed through Moses, even though it's different than what he already said. Leviticus twenty nine twenty two through 24. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So then Aaron lifts up his hand. So after he makes all the required sacrifices, after Moses had consecrated him, (coughs) but that wasn't enough, he still had to make the sacrifices before he took his place as a ruler over the people. When When he's standing above them and he lifts his hand over them, it's a sign that he's saying, I now have a position of authority. Not that he's better than them, but he's been appointed to have a position of authority over them. And then he took his place as a ruler over the people. Remember the picture of Christ? The law had consecrated him. Before he was crucified, everybody knew he was righteous. That's why they hated him so much. That's why they wanted to kill him. is because he was walking in the righteousness of the law. He treated the law like it had authority and like he knew exactly what it meant. And they hated him for it and they wanted to kill him for it. The law had already shown he was king. But he wasn't king until he made the sacrifice. He wasn't king until he ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's when he became king. That's when he received his kingdom. It says over and over again in the New Testament that the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't receive the kingdom. He didn't become a ruler over his people until after the sacrifice. And so that's the picture here of Aaron lifting up his hand toward the people. He was showing that he has a position over the people, and then he blessed them. And Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.7, Now it's beyond all contradiction that the lesser is blessed by the better. So he's testifying by doing this that he is now has authority over them. Not absolute authority. But he has high priests. And just like Christ becomes the high priest, today have begotten you, it says in Hebrews 5, that he became the high priest through his, through his sacrifice. That's what all this is a picture of. Christ received that authority. And so by blessing them, he's demonstrating that he has authority over them. And then he came down. So since the altar burnt offering was four and a half feet tall, if you're going to put animals on that altar, it's it would be quite difficult. But it it would require something to get up higher. There's there's theories that say where the the bronze grate is halfway up and that there was a, a shelf that went around on the outside that they could stand on. But that's not how it's described. That's possible, but that's not how it's described. But we do know that somehow he raised himself up so that people could see him. So he was high enough up that he could offer those sacrifices. And so when he lifted his hand and he held his hand out towards the people and blessed them, at least the ones that were near to him could see him. But then he comes down from offering the sin offering. He had gone up to make the offerings. To make the sin offering, that picture of justification, the burn offering, the picture of substitutionary atonement. The peace offerings, the picture of blessings that come from being associated with God, the material blessings, but also that picture of being cleansed in the inward parts. All of this is a picture of Christ as the high priest of the things that his sacrifice did, and he did all of those offerings before he came down. Because Christ's sacrifice accomplished all those things through the sacrifice of himself, it accomplished it once and it was finished so then Moses and Aaron so when he comes down Moses goes with Aaron make sure that you understand the picture here because this picture is so rejected by the modern church the the modern church wants to say Christ the high priest fought the law and he won but that's not the picture that's in the in the bible at all the picture in the bible is Aaron becomes the high priest and then Moses and Aaron go into the presence of God together they're not at odds they're not fighting one another they went into the tabernacle of meeting because Aaron being appointed the high priest it didn't eliminate Moses position it didn't eliminate that picture of the position of the law It's not that they're ministering contrary to one another. They're ministering together. (coughs) They're jointly ministering to God and to the people. So they go into the tabernacle and meeting together. They can now go into the tabernacle and meeting. Before, Moses could go into the tabernacle, but Aaron could not. But once Aaron takes on this picture of being Christ, we know what this is a picture of. This is Christ's ability to go into the Holy of Holies. His ability to to reconcile us to the Father by going into the presence of the Father. But here he can go with Moses into the tabernacle. And remember in Exodus 40 that the glory of God was in the tabernacle such that Moses got driven out. But now Moses and Aaron, they can go back in together. And then they come out. So they went in to show that they could enter the presence of God. And now they come out. And so through the sacrifice of the high priest, the glory of the Lord was satisfied. And the two of them could go in and see the glory of God. And obviously the, the picture there also is that the high priest, Moses was driven out by the glory of God, but the high priest had a greater glory as a picture of Christ because the, Christ has far greater glory than the law. The law is just a reflection of the glory of God. So after showing there was reconciliation between God and man, at least in a, physical pres- in a physical level, because God's presence could now abide in the tabernacle without breaking forth and destroying all the people, they then come back out. And they bless the people. So both bless the people. They're both a blessing to the people. Without the, high, the true high priest, the law can only be judgment on an individual with the true high priest the law becomes a blessing so they come out and together they bless they bless the people and it shows that moses didn't lose his position he was still a ruler of the people even as aaron had become a ruler the ecclesiastical government had now been separated from the civil government and then the glory of the lord appeared remember it was promised at the beginning of the chapter before when they were told to gather the animals if they gathered the animals and they did these sacrifices, then the glory of the Lord would appear. And remember where they are. They've seen the glory of the Lord. right? They saw the thunders and lightnings. They saw the, the flashes, the earthquakes It was at the top of Mount Sinai. It's not that they hadn't seen the glory of the Lord. They had seen the glory of the Lord and they hated it. They had seen the, the glory of the Lord fill the tabernacle when it was erected and they fled from it. Even Moses couldn't stand in there. But now through the sacrifice of the high priest, they can see the glory of the Lord and not be terrified. They can see the glory of the Lord and not run away. So the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. All the people could see this. This is a picture of the reality of Christ's sacrifice. Through Christ's sacrifice, it was not that just the Jews, just Israel, could see the glory of God while all these other nations had their own gods. Through the sacrifice of of God, through the sacrifice of Christ, the whole world now can see the glory of God. It's to all the people. It goes out through all the world because of the sacrifice of Christ. It wasn't just about this little group in the Middle East. It's now about the whole world. So the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And the fire came out. Part of the glory of the Lord is that he accepted those offerings. That offering that they knew they were guilty. They knew they deserved to be destroyed. They knew that they were terrified of God because his wrath was just. But now they see God takes sacrifices instead of taking them. He burns up the sacrifice. He demonstrates his mercy by accepting the blood of bulls and goats. Not that it would ever satisfy the judgment that was due for sin, but he showed mercy to the people so that he could be in their presence. The fire came out before them, the Lord. They had no no question who had consumed the burnt offering. They all saw it come out from God. They all saw the burnt offering consumed. And that burnt offering, before it was probably, you know, Moses had done burnt offerings. Burnt offerings kept burning for a long time. And so this was probably still all the same fire from when Moses started it. And they were still burning the things that that Aaron had burnt on it. Because he had burnt all the fat and the things. So they were still burning. But now God takes and he consumes them with his fire. And that becomes the fire that they're never to let out. Because it's the fire that God kindled, the fire that accepted the burnt offering, and so He consumed the burnt offering. It would have still been on there. He consumes the burnt offering. He consumes the fat. He's demonstrating to the people that their sacrifice was acceptable. That these that these means that He's giving them a means, not for salvation, but He's given them a means so that they can have God in their presence without being destroyed so when all the people saw it so this would have been obvious this was there and again they had followed the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of cloud by night it's not that they hadn't seen the glory of god but they saw him accept the sacrifices they saw him accept that he would take something instead of them the covenant that they had made back in Leviticus, or in Exodus 24 was that they would do everything perfectly and they were far from perfect. And so God's saying he'll take sacrifices for those who aren't perfect. So when the people saw it, they shouted. That word shouted is sometimes translated rejoice. This is not a shout of fear. This is not a, a cry of terror like they have cried before when they saw the glory of God. This is them rejoicing they saw and they understood that God took a different sacrifice than them. That God said, I can be in your presence without killing you, without destroying you. Remember when Moses goes up and says, don't leave us, stay with us. And God says, if I stay with you, my wrath will break forth and I will destroy everybody in this camp. And now he's saying, through the sacrificial system that he established, they can get it so that His wrath doesn't break out and doesn't destroy all of Israel. So they shout, they're rejoicing at the presence of the glory of God. And they fell on their faces because it didn't produce pride. They didn't go, oh, yeah, I'm fine with God. I don't need to worry. I can go do whatever I want. God has forgiven me. No, their response is to fall on their faces with humility. God, by accepting the sacrifices, doesn't make them proud. He makes them humble. So let me give you some, some applications. So God gave instructions that were very detailed about how the offerings were to be made. But it's clear from this passage that unlike the structure of the temple and the articles of furniture that were reflecting what what things look like in heaven, there's more flexibility to the offerings. It can never be done in rebellion. That's what Nadab and Abihu do, so they'll be, cons- they'll be burnt up as sacrifices. But th- there could be different. They're not, if they're not showing the whole truth of the situation, God actually allows his people to say, what should this be? And it has to be based on what God told them, what God commanded. It's not like you come up with your own things. It's not like you reject what God has said worship should look like but there is flexibility in it. There is things that could be different that you go, well, in this situation, this isn't the right thing to do. So they could be different. Not that they're, when they don't reflect the whole situation, making this sin offering without recognizing your sin means that it's not a means to go before the veil. It's not a means to have access to the Father picture of making a profession of faith, but without recognizing that you need your sins forgiven, without recognizing, without real, true repentance, and recognizing that God's wrath should be upon you. That's more the picture here. It gives them peace for a little bit. It means that they can walk and be the people of God, but it doesn't mean that they have access to the Holy of Holies. It doesn't mean that they have access to the presence of God. It doesn't mean they have access to that picture of heaven. That's more the picture here. Somebody who's acknowledging God with their lips, but their heart's still far from Him. The sacrifices for the congregation without them recognizing their sin are insufficient for atonement. It can help you make make you see the presence of God. You can see the reality of God moving through the world but it doesn't give you access to the Holy of Holies. One of, the important, one of the things that this passage testifies to is the importance of seeing your sin in order for the sacrifice of Christ to be accepted for it. God opens your eyes so that you can see your sin. If he hasn't opened your eyes so that you see you're a sinner who's worthy of damnation, don't think you're saved. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Next application, we're to present our sacrifices to the true high priest, to Christ. This, is a, this passage is a picture of Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As they bring the blood up over and over again... It's this picture. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what our lives are supposed to be about. This is why God saves us, why he redeems us, is so that we can become his servants. And we can present to God our life as an offering, as a sacrifice. Are you presenting your life to God as a sacrifice? And that sacrifice required the sins to be cleansed from the inward parts for the filth to be cleansed that we have picked up in the world. But God really uses those sacrifices. On the one hand, he uses them to cause his blood to be sprinkled before the veil. He uses them, those sacrifices that we make, so that people see Christ, that people see the reason to have a hope, that people people hear the testimony of what God does in the world by watching our lives. And obviously faith comes by hearing, so it's not saying without words. But on one hand, he used those sacrifices to draw people to himself. But on the other hand, he anoints the horns of the altar burn offering to testify that there's a greater judgment to come. Because of the sacrifices made by his people through the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, it brings greater judgment on those who refuse to see. Another application, without the work of Christ, there's no offering that's acceptable to the Father. All of the offerings went through the high priest. That's the way that the offerings get to be acceptable. We can make whatever sacrifice we want. We can live sacrificially. We can, we can you know, die to ourselves and do everything for our neighbor. But if it's not done through the high priest, it's meaningless. If it's not done for the glory of Christ, if it's not done through the mediation of Christ, it's worthless. None of those sacrifices are pleasing to God. It's through the work of the high priest that the work of the other priest becomes acceptable. Another application, there are real blessings of the gospel being proclaimed and practiced in a society. It's a real constraint on sin. This The peace offering that they had, it was a real blessing to these people who did not know God and did not want to know God. But having the God's presence there, having the gospel there, having the the word of god preached that produces real blessings on a society not nearly the blessings that are received by putting your faith and trust in jesus christ but it's so easy for us to re- forget how many blessings there are to a people through the sacrifices through the the sacrifices of christ through the sacrifices of his people but the peace offerings the breast and the the right thigh Those are for the priests because the real blessings of knowing Christ, the greatest blessings of knowing Christ, are for those who are actually priests of the Most High God. Another application, there's no conflict between the law and Christ. The modern church wants to put them at odds, but the law is perfect for what it was given to do. To prove that the divine wrath was righteous, to constrain sin, to teach the faithful how they're to walk in the world, But something more was needed because it did not make anyone righteous. There's no law that can make one righteous. But that doesn't mean it's not perfectly joined with Christ. Christ the high priest, Christ the lawgiver gave a law that was not in contradiction to him but the two joined together. The two are both working to bring people to the holy of holies, to bring people to God. Another application, through the sacrifice of the high priest, the world can see the glory of God. The world could understand the wrath of God against sin. It's expressed through the whole world. It's been preached on every continent, all because Jesus Christ sacrificed himself and became the high priest. It's when Christ, when God came and laid down his life, that's when the world, and not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just Not just Israel, but the whole world has seen the glory of God through the sacrifice of Christ. The whole world can see the justness of God. And the whole world can see the mercy of God because Jesus Christ rose from the dead as a testimony to the mercy of God. The last application... God did these sacrifices not so that we could be lifted up, that we could be proud. He did these sacrifices so we would rejoice before him, but rejoice in humility, recognizing it's his work, recognizing it was his sacrifice. That's why we can have the Holy Spirit in us, not because of anything we did. We can in no way boast because it is Christ's work that did it. It's Christ's work that made it so that we can receive mercy and we can see the glory of god and we can be in the presence of god so it should cause the response that it caused to israel for the people to to shout with rejoicing and to fall down before him and worship him so let's pray oh lord god we do thank you we thank you that you are the god who came not not like aaron A God who came that physically could bring us, could bring himself into the Holy of Holies once a year. But you came as a God who promises us that you will bear us into the Holy of Holies, bear us into the presence of the Father, that you will carry us there. Not because of anything we did, but because of your grace and your mercy, because of your calling, because of your drawing, because of your taking a heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh. Because of these things, we have peace with you. Lord, let us be a people that truly rejoice over that and truly fall down in humility because we recognize there's nothing we could do to reconcile us to you. It is your work and your work
0: alone. Praise be to the Lord. Amen.